My conversation today is with writer, musician, minister, and practitioner of magic, Irene Glass, of Glass Witch Cottage, a platform where she offers mentorship, counseling, and training in magic, mysticism, and other spiritual modalities. A self-described pagan religious professional, Irene has a depth and breadth of experience which has garnered her a position of leadership and influence in the modern Wiccan and pagan magical communities in the eastern United States. We sat down to talk about her experiences in the pagan community, the importance of healing both others and ourselves on the spiritual path, her wonderful sense of humor, and focused yet unforced approach to magic and spiritual liturgical work, and much more. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. to the uh the sacred space between the world uh conference yeah it was great it was awesome Thank um you. yeah it was fantastic and so i became aware of a little bit of your work uh there but for anybody that might be listening that that is not 100 uh, percent familiar with you and, and what you've been doing I, I i'm i'm wondering if is it appropriate to say that you you approach magic through the the pagan path uh That's you know correct Okay, so would you describe yourself as as a witch? Would you identify as that? Yeah, I'd say witch. I, the phrase I tend to use the most is pagan religious professional, just because it puts a few things immediately present that are useful to know about me. One, of course, is that I am I am pagan by faith, which means that for me, the practice of magic is closely linked to the practice of religion. I am a minister. Like, clergy work is my main gig. This is what I do for a living. I serve a UU congregation along with the greater pagan population of Delmarva area. So Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, if you're part of that world, you're probably familiar with me already. And then on top of that, the the professional piece, which means I'm, I'm held to a fairly high standard. I have people that I answer to. So I think that that's a useful like moniker <laughs> for someone yeah. with a job like mine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, it's extremely precise. So I like that. <laughs> um, so how or where did that journey begin for you really? So it's some of what I always tell people is that I have cleverly monetized a compulsive behavior. So I, I'm the kid that at age 15 got a book on witchcraft and immediately was like, guys, we should start a coven. Let's start a coven. And like, roped my social circle into doing rituals and i've like even when i was in the marine corps my nickname was mother goose because if somebody was having a meltdown at two o'clock in the morning i was the door they'd come and knock on to come talk whoever that was down so there's a combination of deep fascination with witchcraft and spirit work and all things mystical and then this thing I have around taking care of people and communities. I'm by nature sort of a servant in a lot of ways. I like to create containers in which people can have experiences. It's what I love. And I would do it even if I hadn't found a way to also pay rent. I'm just really grateful for the existence of Patreon now because it means that people like me still have enough food to eat and can concentrate fully on the work that we do. Yeah, that's excellent. That's fantastic. Um, uh, so I guess it seems like you're, and and I got this sense from you just looking at your socials and and kind of re- reading the, the the blogs that you put out. Um, you're you're big on community leadership, really. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. so you host a bunch of workshops and and conferences as well. Like you're like you're saying, really, you're you're, you're creating these containers. So um, 
uh, I I'm wondering like, well, one of the things that I I was talking to uh, Evo about was the idea that, you know, he kind of went to the the pagan communities because there was a community. There's not much, you know, he didn't really experience the fact that there was a, um, or at least there there was a um, a greater concentration of community and things like that. So, I mean, is that like the central piece you think to to why it is that you gravitate towards um, these these sort of container building uh uh duties or, or projects are, are you you know a little bit um i suspect also most of us try i think subconsciously most of us try to become the person that we needed and i think that as a weird kid from a weird family i was raised by hippies i joke a lot that i was raised by wolves but i was raised well outside the mainstream of what could be broadly considered united states culture i think i've always been looking for home and so I think there is a, a need to build it. And for me, home is very much a place of magic. Um, it's the one world where I'm comfortable, where I really know a lot, where I feel like I'm useful. Um, I'm very good at ritual magic. I am very good at divination. I'm very good at teaching witchcraft. I'm a little bit less good at making small talk and fucking office party parties with like mundanes. I stumble there. I have a hard time relating. So for me, home has got to be a weird place. On top of that, I occupy a couple other intersectional spaces. I am married to a non-binary person, so I am part of a queer marriage. My entire world is one that operates in shades of gray and the pagan community is one of the few religious communities that is open to people like me and families like mine so i think that's the other thread really yeah and uh, tied in with that kind of that that whole idea at least the way that i experience it because i i kind of had a similar feeling you know uh not really feeling like i fit in anywhere uh growing up so i i i was raised by by uh i had like that sort of immigrant influence uh that that was very present so um you know just feeling like a foot in two worlds really so i I understand what you're talking about and i think that that's you know it it could be a a a part of the deep psychology that drives us to to these particular communities it's quite quite interesting thing to think about and and put that very eloquently um thank you But, but but also healing seems to be a big part of this whole spiritual path that 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 all of us really are on but and you're you're a Reiki instruction instructor. Is yes, that correct? I'm a Reiki instructor. I'm a spirit healer, so second wave shamanism. But we try not to call it that anymore because appropriation sucks. Um, and I work a lot within healing modalities. I'm a yoga teacher. Um, I teach a whole lot of uh, what we could broadly call it self unfucking sort of techniques around spirituality, magic, meditation, mindfulness, and the works. The uh, minister of the congregation and I, who I, I serve under is a Buddhist, so we lead yoga and meditation retreats as a team. So there's a lot of focus around around healing in its most broad interpretation, which for me is like unpacking and undoing the damage and finding a way to live more authentically and also in a healthy and assertive way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's so that's kind of this this interesting combination of things, you know, community, uh, healing, and leadership. I guess you know that that's a pretty, I would say that's a pretty um, interesting trifecta to have right there. And I, I, I definitely I got the sense of that from from just very peripherally, right, topically, outside looking in, uh, looking at some of your work and some of the stuff that you do. So I, I, I was interested to see how those things really play into, you know, how they work into each other, because it's, it's, you know, that's a lot, 
not not in terms of like a litany of things, but it, there's there's uh, quite an onus of responsibility. There. All three of those carry a lot of weight individually, so then weaving them together becomes challenging at times. Um, but I'd also say that they share a common root. There's a a phrase that we use in UUism, Unitarian Universalism, which is the idea of the beloved community. And it's this interdependent, interlinked, truly diverse, healthy community. And all of us are sort of trying to build that here on Earth. And for me, the connections in between people and the ability to authentically communicate who we are and what we need and to undo our own damage and the damage that was inflicted on us, these are all things that are linked. Like they're all part of a greater picture for me. So there is less delineation between, and I would say that they're more strands of one particular rope and I've got one end of it and I'm just pulling desperately and hoping not to get yanked off path, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's interesting because I spent a lot of time when I first came into um, magic uh, particularly, right? Because you can be involved in occultism and not have anything to do with magic. You know, yes, it's, definitely. <laughs> A lot of it's a lot of reading and long coats and things like that. So, um, but I, uh, I I got into I got I really I started getting into magical communities and started seeing a lot of that intersection of of healing and uh, and community and it was very appealing to me at the time because I had none. Um, and and you know I I, I went and, and did my my uh, my my four Reiki modules and things like that and it brought me into uh, energy healing by way of like qigong and uh qigong therapy and then i did massage and then i went into acupuncture and kind of it just got pulled in uh to the whole healing thing um but it's 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 interesting to me you know to see the the archetypes the uh, the way the ways in which people are molded um and and i still find that uh that healing transformation that alchemical thing that gets catalyzed when you start really moving and approaching towards this stuff it's it's an outward trajectory but it's also an inward trajectory and yes. and you don't always see that penetrate into um you know occultism in in the broader sense and i think that's kind of the missing coin in a lot of circles or the missing yes. missing part of the coin you know it's like you, you, we can we can be concerned with where the planets are and all that stuff, but we should also be concerned with, you know, what's going on in our interior universe. So I think that's, um, that's a really important part of the practice, but I'm, uh, uh, do you, I'm, I'm curious because I also believe it or not, I, I work in clergy, I guess you call it that. I'm a deacon in a Gnostic Christian, um, nice church yeah do you, do you do you have liturgy is that something oh, yes. that you write you work off of liturgy yes definitely so i i am the president of frederick cups which is one of the largest cups chapters in the country um which means that our high holiday rituals draw you know 75 to 150 people we're lucky we live in a really like a region with a fairly large pagan community so we work from set liturgy or we develop liturgy for that particular wheel of the year. Along with that, I serve a Unitarian Universalist congregation as a commission lay minister. That has a set format. So like this upcoming Sunday, we'll use our standard service liturgy. I have written a sermon and that's my piece that gets inserted into that liturgy. So yes, I develop liturgy. I use existing liturgy. And also there's far more free form spiritual expression. Along with that, I'm heathen and most heathen kindreds have their own set liturgy as well. Our rituals are more structured. Uh, in many times, um, 
I would say, more consistently structured across heathenry than many pagan like rituals are structured across paganism, just because we're a much smaller part of that entire picture. So we're able to be more specific. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool to to be able to play with liturgy. We've we've done it a little bit. Um, in terms of the Gnostic milieu, it's we're not orthodox. We're orthoprax, right? Because right. we want to be able to utilize the alchemical formula of 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 the Eucharistic uh, liturgy, but we don't. We're not orthodox. We don't believe what what uh, orthodoxy, uh, you know, lowercase o orthodoxy, typically. Right, right, yes. So, so um, I found that uh, pretty cool as well, you know, being able to, to experience the liturgy and, and also be able to play with it, you know, it's, it's like, it's, yes, but there's freedom there. Exactly. I think that's, that's pretty important. Um, well, and one of the things that I always tell my students is that ritual structure of all kinds, when we become more familiar with it, when it is something that repeats and becomes part of your liturgical cycle, it becomes comfortable. And when you're not scrambling to think of what comes next or looking ahead on your service plan, you're able to be more fully present. There's actually more space for connection within structure than many times there is within, you know, a, uh, a chaos, not chaos magic, but just a chaos style ritual where everybody shows up with like a crystal and a bundle of herbs and hope. Like <laughs> there's a lot more figuring out <laughs> what the fuck happens next in that situation mm -hmm. than yeah. there is when we have a set liturgical plan. But that liturgical plan, if it's written well, involves space for transcendental connection. And when you know what's going to happen next, you're able to just be there. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the moment, right? That's what we're all fucking here for. So <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was actually pretty interested to see uh, see you talk uh, kind of briefly about this uh, trans divination practice that you have. Save, yes. Yeah. So where, where does that, is that something that you, that you learned or is that something you developed? That's something I learned. So within the world of Norse magic, there are two big branches, one of which is Galdr, which is the use of runes and chanting and inscriptions, sort of, we could say magical words. And then there is Saith, which we could describe as, we could poorly describe as loosely shamanic in nature, and that it involves spirit journey of some sort. So projecting the self in one way or another. I, I know uh, Rafnar style save, which was developed by Diana Paxson with her guild out in California and has been taught across the country in various places. And I'm a practitioner of it now. I'm part of the Potomac Sather Guild. And save is a it's a, a transpossessory form of divination where people come in, a seer sits in a chair, goes into a trance state, and then goes to places so that people can ask questions. Uh, Spe, which is like the the beginner <laughs> beginner form of save, specifically focuses on the underworld. So we talk to the ancestors. And then with full save, we then also talk to deities. We talk to heroes. So, you know, like Hervor out of the, the myth cycles. Uh, and it's a, a beautiful ritual form. It is only ever done for a community. It is a community service piece. Uh, the old Seith Konas, the Cirruses, would travel from settlement to settlement offering this. They would be called when, say, a crop failed, and the community was trying to figure out what to do, what to appease, what to do next. And that's really where this comes from. Rafnar style save uh, comes out of largely the Eric the Red saga. It's the one that where we have like the most information about what that ritual looked like. And then, of course, as with all revivalist religions, we have filled in the blank with other things. <laughs> so there's a touch of like 
second wave shamanism in there just because these are the pieces where we're not exactly sure what the mechanism is. I will say that the, the current form of Rafnar style save works and there are other forms of save being practiced within the community by other people who've done their own reconstructions of that particular ritual style. Very cool. Yeah, that's, it's that's neat. I love it. So I it, saw it first at a sacred space conference before I joined the board there. I went to one and it was one of those ones. I don't know if you've ever been to a ritual like this, but I went to the ritual and I was like, I want that. I want that fucking ritual. I don't know how to do it. I want to do the thing. And then, and they fortunately had a class coming up. I was like, give me this information. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and they, unfortunately, in the circles in which I, I kind of move esoterically, it's like, yeah, I want that ritual. It's like, okay, well, you've got to get 18 more degrees. <laughs> you know, like, uh. <laughs> you just bang them out in one day. <laughs> I'll just eat Can in the I morning. Can I just learn the piece of candy that I want? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Prerequisites are terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that's pretty cool. I, I so would you would it be fair to say that um the base the basis of your uh approach through paganism to spirit comes from uh, a Norse pagan background uh, primarily or are you more eclectic? I'm, I, I began eclectic. So I got started in like in the aughts, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, and then really hit my stride in the early 2000s in terms of serving the community and being present. And at that point in time, if you were not lucky enough to live near a lodge or have a strong pagan community around you, we were all learning from books and we were cobbling together a belief system. And that is definitely what happened to me as well. So I, you know, I had a, like a Celtic phase. I am Irish by descent. Uh, so, you know, my, my grandmother was an Irish immigrant. So I, you know, I definitely went the Bridget path for a while. And I've just sort of meandered when I blew up my life back in 2014, for whatever reason, the Norse gods started to appear to me in visions. And that is the path that I've followed since I'm now a member, an oath member of Elkridge Kindred. And it's a really beautiful and nourishing part of my path. And also, it might change again, just because that's a thing that's happened to me before. And I'm okay with it. I'm very much of the school of like, all the gods are real. So, yeah. Great. Um, so, uh, obviously, you, you, it sounds like you were incredibly well-versed in, in this kind of, um, you know, ritual world, liturgy world. Because they, as you were pointing to, you know, to your point earlier, they are kind of different. The, the liturgical thing rather than than the more intuitive ritual based stuff though it it heavily relies on ritual so um you've probably seen a, a broad swath of uh a, a nice nice size cross section of the different sort of communities within magic paganism occultism yes, you know so. People kind of tend to group them all together, but once you get into the world, it's like incredibly distinct. Um, how have you seen that community change over the years? Oh, it's been dramatic. I, It's been marvelous. I, I remember reading Drawing Down the Moon when I was like 16 years old and just being like, I really want to find these people. Where the fuck are these people, you know? And watching the community grow has been wonderful. I think we we are becoming broader and more welcoming in a lot of ways. I think that there was a lot of, there was and remains a good deal of unpacking baked in white supremacy, a good deal of unpacking baked in toxic masculinity and patriarchy in a lot of places. And I love how much unfucking is happening on that front and seeing our community become queerer and browner and more welcoming and um, safer 
for people, not safer magically. I actually don't think you should be safe magically. And if you are, you're not trying hard enough, but like allowing the human container to be so much more than it was is wonderful. Just because I think for such a long time, you know, paganism, the religion was very like white lady land and i would say like ceremonial magic was white dude land for a long time and it's been really nice to see both of those really start to open up in a meaningful way so that's been a wonderful and a worthwhile change i think the other thing that's been really nice is seeing the wall come down in terms of people teaching real magic for a long time the books would give you a starting path right like they'd give you just enough information to get you interested, but so much of the really good shit was kept in oathbound traditions. And there's still a place for those. And also, it's important to acknowledge the fact that not everybody's going to live near an Alexandrian or a Gardnerian coven, and we need to find ways to deal with that. Uh, so seeing the spread of different magical techniques has been good. Seeing the revival of folk traditions across the world has been really, really beautiful. Uh, I love how many different flavors and textures of magic are now available for people so that they can be like, wow, you know, my family's Appalachian. Holy shit, there's an entire branch of magic just for that. Like, that shit is cool. So that's been really nice to see. And just making it so we're easier to find. The internet has been a real blessing. I'm old enough that I remember the before times when it was really hard to find other pagans. And now, man, you can't like throw an email without hitting one. And it's kind of great. And it's kind of a pain in the ass in some ways. And also it's kind of great. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. I, I It kind of, uh, I, you know, I didn't start in the 90s, but I started in, you know, really learning this stuff probably in the early 2000s and uh even then there wasn't a whole lot of the, the space on the internet particularly i remember now yeah. it's like overflowing there's so many different podcasts like this one <laughs> no. yay um, this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah this one's okay this one's fine but the other ones no no i mean i, I they're all terrible everybody like and subscribe to our kind of <laughs> I, I mean well you know there that's what's been interesting for me is this this ability to 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 pipe up if you feel that you're ready. Uh, you know, like I, I listened to to Greg Kaminsky on a cult of personality. He'd been doing it for 15 years. It's like talk radio for magic. It's amazing. Uh, you know, he was, you know, a big influence for a really long time. And uh you know, just recently got to be on that podcast, which was really cool. So um cool. but but then uh and he, you know, I had a discussion with him for this season as well. But it, it's just interesting that like <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to like pull the veil down a little bit, you know, uh, for this, but starting this off, right. This microphone here that I got, this was a gift. I didn't spend any money on it. Right. Um, the camera that I use was, uh, is my fiance's, you know, didn't spend any money on it. It's I, I, I edit in like iMovie, you know, didn't spend any money on it. And this thing right here, this like pop filter that I use, it's, I built it right. It, I, it's a piece of cattle panel that's like drilled into wood and I've got like two socks over it for a pop. Fuck yeah. I used to work in radio, dude. Like that is the answer. <laughs> DIY. <laughs> exactly. So it's just so cool that like with, I don't have a studio, you know, I'm doing this out of, yeah. out of in my home. So, you know, you can just slap these things together. And if, if I think, cause the, the thing that's important is, is the conversation. 
and how how authentic and 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 kind of meaningful and deep that you can that you can go and and that's another really cool thing is that you know there are more people who are more and more well versed by the day in this stuff and are super interested in it so um but it had a like a great way to describe that he was talking at one point in time about bnps big name pagans being something that's phasing out and practitioner leaders being something that is phasing in and i really love that way of looking at it because i i remember the bnp days i work within enough large pagan organizations that i have dealt with some bnps practitioner leaders are awesome um they are in the trenches doing the work with all of us as you say they're just fascinated by this material they fucking love it and then now they have a much easier way to find an audience and share what they've learned with the rest of us and that is so cool it's so cool like some parts of living in star trek time period is absolutely amazing and i'm here for it that's that's a good way to put it. it it's pretty it's interesting as somebody who loves star trek it's it's pretty cool it, you, you know it's like it, it is it is tending towards that level of diversity and just this this really interesting quantum space and just everybody working together it's it's been really cool but one thing that i that i'm kind of interested in and i i think maybe all of us have have a little bit of passion behind these types of things but i'm wondering what you find to be one of the most common misconceptions or misperceptions about pagan spiritual practice i think that it's light that it's very fluffy um that it's not a depthy spiritual practice there's a problem that we have right now where we're very trendy like witches are in uh, and there is a form of witchcraft that's very surface oriented. Um, I'll give you just as a for instance that made me a little insane yesterday where a metaphysical shop had put up, it was a graphic with it had the rune Fehu on it. And it was like, you know, inscribe this sigil on your right wrist for good luck and good fortune throughout the day. And we've pulled a sigil from a magical system that has a far more depthy meaning and history than just that and we're giving it out without any context or any further right work on that front and there's an entire world of witchcraft that's very surface um that is popular right now and i don't wholly resent it because for a lot of people this is the gateway drug right like they get a little bit into that and go oh wow this feels really good i can go deeper and that's and that's great but i think the impression that it gives wider society is that that's all of us and that everybody is like i lit a candle and thought positive things and now i'm going to win the lottery and it's like that's not fucking how it works or the rest of us and so sometimes i think a lot of my own struggle is getting people to understand that like no this is a religion uh with you know with a cycle of seasons with patterns of the wheel of the year with ways we connect with that which lives around us with how we are in relationship to each other and to this land that we belong to to our ancestors and the history here and it's a much more potent and profound path than i think instagram might lead you to believe and so that's a big one where people are like oh you're pagan that's great you know <laughs> like mm, i'm pagan it means i'll make you cry if you talk to me long enough like... <laughs> <laughs> that's great i guess yeah i mean i've it's you see it too in in you know ceremonial communities obviously that's where i got my start but the thing is that this the ceremonial groups that i was a part of were um they they put were all called from from either covens or things like that you know on in um in the northeast right it was on long island in new york oh nice so, 
Yes, no, it wasn't. This this whole like kind of academic ceremonialism is is strange and new to me. It's not something that's not the way I um a lot of the people that I kind of hang out with and and have exchange with now um and I'm very grateful for them. But they're not they weren't the, the first I guess type of of person that I ran into in in magical communities, you know. Believe it, honestly it was more people like, you know, like yourself that I was doing magic with. But um it's uh I, I find that level of superficiality too is as well. It just comes differently. It's not it's right, I'm it, sure like, it's in a slightly different package in your world, yes. Right, right. Because it's it's not light and fluffy, it's very academic and stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, Let's strip it's not, all of the emotion out of it. Let's ruin yeah. magic for everyone. <laughs> exactly. It's, exactly, exactly. So that's that's pretty interesting. But I guess piggybacking off of that idea and you know, what do you think maybe somebody that's just coming into specifically magic or or pagan-based magic, something that you've gleaned over the course of, right, your practice, decades long of practice, um, what do you think you would want to want somebody to know, like your students or something, first coming right. through the door? So I, I, I teach beginners, right? I run a four-year mystery school and I, I teach beginners on the regular. And I think some of the most useful material involves learning to recognize red flags and white supremacist dog whistles early, just because our community is one that gets hunted by both predators and by white supremacist groups that are looking for easy marks. They look for people who feel disconnected and disenfranchised. And that's our world, right? We're, we're the misfits of the universe. <laughs> and until we find each other, we're floating around loose. So I think those two things are important. I also like to instill a very strong spiritual structure just in terms of self-reflection. Knowing the taste and texture of your own thoughts is very important. If you're going to work with spirits, you need to know you first. So I work with that piece. I am very big on beginning to undo some of the self-war that most of us experience. Um, most people, when they come into paganism, have been told the entire life that their spirituality is wrong, that whatever they're experiencing isn't true. They've been told that magic doesn't exist, and we have a lot of deprogramming to do. The next piece I tend to teach is protection magic, just because it's so important. <laughs> like, let's cover that base first. Like, put on your condom <laughs> before you go out and jump into the universe of magic. <laughs> like, do not raw dog the metaphysical world, kids. It's a terrible oh, idea. No. It will raw dog you. <laughs> it will raw dog you, exactly. And you might get an STD from it, a spiritually transmitted disease. Like, let's be sensible. That's so, great. That... <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you mean that? Spiritually transmitted, transmitted disease? disease? That's what I... <laughs> we, we jokingly, my spouse and I joke joke that we that we are we have a tendency to when we are around people for a long time they tend to become pagan <laughs> and they, they specifically these days tend to become heathen so we joke that we are a spiritually transmitted disease so that's one of those phrases that's get it gets used in my household <laughs> that's great but yeah, I mean, for me, it's all about the structure, right? Let's build a strong internal structure so that then you can spiral out in a safe way because I was a fucking idiot with magic when I was a kid. You probably were too. Almost all of us have done something really yeah. super dumb, maybe multiple things. Super fucking dumb with magic, with spirits, with the gods. If we can <laughs> we can narrow that down <laughs> so that people don't spend 20 years getting here. Maybe they only spend four or five. That's optimum. And that's what I try to teach, you know? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned something earlier about uh, Appalachian uh, folk traditions and I um, I've experienced that since moving here you know there's an extreme sense of place 
and obviously you're, you're somebody who is is very um, community oriented, and and I I you know just in my sort of cursory experience of of paganism because I it's something that I spend a little bit of time you know working with uh you know it's a lot of it is earth based, um right. so so how much does your specific location influence or play into uh your your magic or your your spiritual approach. I think massively. Um, I'm going to quote John Beckett here. He said this at a sacred space conference, I think in 2018, that your magic should be a combination of history, sort of spiritual path. So your wheel of the year and your geography, like your specific location. And I, I agree with that firmly. I believe that witches and magical practitioners should have good relationships with the spirits they live in. So I am speaking to you from a house that was built in 1880. It sits on three acres of land in the flatlands uh, right by the Kanakachik River. I am uh, sort of down the hill from the Appalachian Mountains. I can see them from my home. This is the land that I belong to. And the spirits here are the ones that I work the most closely with. Secondary to this are the spirits at the land at the UU congregation, where my Cups chapter meets, where I serve, where most of my spiritual work takes place. That's seven acres, again, in view of the Appalachian Mountains. This part of the world is so very old, and it has such a long human history. And so understanding those layers and building strong relationships with the spirits present, it impacts everything about you know, even just on a practical level, it impacts how much luck you can pull and put into something. If the spirits where you live are trying to help you, if they view your relationship in a positive light, they assist. You know, things have occurred within my wonderful old haunted house that I'm pretty sure are not mind and magic, and I'm pretty sure are just the house's magic, but because we have a good relationship, it works out in my advantage. So I'm a big fan of building a strong relationship with the spirits where you are as, as you possibly can. There's a great quote. I wish I knew where it come from. It came from, but it's a, a witch should know intimately the five miles immediately around where they live. And I love that. We should know where the water comes from that we drink. We should know what grows here. We should know which animals are normal in the region. This also allows you to see omens more easily. Like if you just see birds, right? Oh, great, another burb. But then if an osprey comes through the yard and you're like me, live nowhere near the ocean, that probably means something and you should pay some fucking attention, right? Like our ability to to interface with the magical world is better when we are firmly rooted in the land that we belong to. Yeah, that's super important. I remember, um, I remember a few things. There's, there's, uh, a particular an, an occult author that I really really enjoy. She's probably one of the one of the most foundational people for me it was Josephine McCarthy for for a long time. She kind of had uh, brought to my attention that everybody wants to get involved with um, because I believe for for a period of time like uh, she was working over here in the states but not natively from here. Just kind of observing within magical communities that um, a lot of us. Uh, and it's true for me too, you know. I mean, I, I've had I've had a, appearances, uh, visions of the the Greek gods. You know, mm-hmm. thankfully that's that's what I was interested in. <laughs> but but um, you know, there, there's a tremendous, uh, I guess, reservoir of power in the Native American imagery that has been um, and and that kind of magic and that kind of association with with the land and the animals that are that are unique to the land. That that's it's like a, an entire system that's here and. Uh, that was something that that was big for me when we moved into the place that we're living now um is is really using the tarot believe it or not to to sort of scan the land from the the you know the center of the home 
and then go out and investigate what what it what had been indicated by the reading of the the four directions and and kind of get get a get a sense of of what was going on and there's there's a lot of a lot of juice in this location we're extremely rural we're we're we're, we're in Appalachia as well in western north carolina which oh, is nice. incredible that they go all the way right the mountains go oh all my god yeah <laughs> up the coast <laughs> Yeah. So that yeah, I, w- I was figuring that 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 probably um, was a big part of uh, of of what you do. One of the things that I I really enjoy too about like your your posts and and some of the other interviews that you've done and and this one as well is the sense of humor and levity that you bring to these things that are otherwise very either vague or, or just kind of they can be a little in- intimidating. So I'm assuming right humor is a huge part of your spiritual path. It is. And I also must confess, I was so when I was in the Marines, um, I started out as a print journalist, right? And then my I speak well, so they sent me to broadcast school and I got sent to a news station. And I shot news stories and then began to mouth off because I started getting comfortable and they realized that I was funny. So they put me on the radio, which is where I spent the next few years. So cracking jokes is a little bit of how I present. That piece has has bled. I, uh, I'm a performing musician. I've been in bands for fucking 17-ish years now, usually as a front person, which means patter between songs. And along with that, I find that when people feel comfortable, they learn better. And there is nothing quite like humor to make that happen. So, you know, there's that piece. Uh, I also really do firmly believe in the, like, the ridiculousness of all of us, ultimately, including myself and the magical world in general. So I like to point at it when I can. That's great. Yeah, it's... (laughs) somebody once said to me it was like one of the most helpful things starting out in magic it was probably at like my second golden dawn meeting um i was really kind of taken aback by by how um jovial the situation was right i mean most people they if you if you've not been involved in those communities which i hadn't up to that point i mean you think it's like eyes wide shut you know right (laughs) yes or like monty python with the boards and the hoods and stuff (laughs) with the chanting yeah yes (laughs) yeah and it was it was great and and i remember saying something and somebody leaning over to me being like you're not crazy if you know you're crazy yes Well, and I also think it's a really good thing. Like, we we are not operating in a vacuum. Look around at the other religions of the world and some of their more ascended masters, right? So if you see a group of llamas hanging around, they're usually laughing their heads off and cracking jokes to each other. Spiritual adeptness and connection doesn't mean you've lost your sense of humor. In fact, I'd say it's deepened it, right? Because we we understand some more of the impermanence of everything, which makes it all hilariously funny. So, like, I think that's a it's an important piece to bring. Um, I think we, you know, it's that pendulum swing, right? I think everybody got really serious and dark for a while, and I mm. resent that just as much as I resent the too fluffy and too light. I just, you know, I, I stand in opposition to <laughs> to damn that's, near everything, apparently. <laughs> well, that's good, right? Occupying that middle space, right? That's kind of where I think... Liminality. <laughs> right, liminality and, 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 you know, just being able to mediate. If you're, if you're mediating... If you're mediating extremes, then you're not at one end or the other. And I think that that is that's a huge part of the the spiritual um, spiritual path. So I have I have a couple of uh, canned questions for that everybody gets, and um, I wanted to. Well, 
I kind of took this one out of rotation for a little while because people stopped being able to answer it. And, uh, but I, I want to put it to you, like, okay. what is your personal experience of, of magic? Right. Cause it, it means something a little different to everybody uh, when you're experiencing it, your subjective experience, but I'm interested to know how do you experience magic? How do you know it when you, when you see it? There's this wonderful science fiction book that talks about something, a flow state called kazo. And I wish we had a word for this in our language like they do in that story. But it's the moment where you feel this connection to everything and all things are effortless and feel right and good and like they're having an impact. And for me, when I'm in the middle of a ritual that's really working, I feel that. When I am laying down a spell that is going to go through I feel that when I am in communion with my gods and having a transcendental experience, I feel that it's it's that flow state. Sometimes when I'm teaching witchcraft, I feel it because it, the words are passing through me in the way that they are meant to, right? It's this this almost extra natural alignment. So there's that piece of feeling magic in action. And then of course, the piece of magic that is, I think, wonderful for all of us is when a spell works. And we get, I always love the quote that like, witches don't get answers, we get spooky coincidences. I, I love the spooky coincidences, right? Where you're like, oh, shit, well, great, I can pay my rent. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah, so yeah. that's the other piece. Uh, and then I would say the, the last thread of that for me is that again, community service is really wrapped up in things so as an example my community is hosting Samhain this upcoming weekend and there's right. usually that's always a, a fairly our, our Samhain is ancestrally based it tends to be an emotionally moving piece mm-hmm. so after the big build there's a moment of quiet and you can just hear people breathing and the sound of tears on breath and the sense of so many spirits in the room And that is a beautiful experience of magic, right? And that's more of the religious side than it is necessarily the raw magic spellcraft side. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it takes a couple different forms, but man, what an addictive substance. It just keeps you coming back. (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, that was a beautiful description. Um, So for for anybody else that, that has listened to this podcast uh, today that we've had um, and is kind of on the threshold and wants to learn some more about what you and I have been talking about. What are three uh, books that you would recommend for somebody to, uh, to check out? Hmm. There's so much that's good right now, right? Like it's, it's almost, uh, I love Ben Stimson's new book on ancestral magic. If that's a thing you want to do, that's a really, really good one. Evo Dominguez will never steer you wrong. Nope. That's like, there's a reason we all love him. Like Evo is a joy and a blessing to this field. He is knowledgeable and experienced. He's been running a tradition for many, many years. The assembly are good people. I trust him, you know, Um, and I don't trust everybody in witchcraft. Uh, And I would say actually the temple, Christopher Penzak's temple is another one. That's a really good place to begin and the books are good but i'd say actually picking up temple classes and they are frequently offered online is a wonderful way to learn um there are so many books at this point in time that part of me would also almost rather point at schools you know and be like so yeah go ahead go ahead like like the temple is that's that's those are largely good people you know humans are everywhere right so you're going to meet humans and also the the structure and ethics and values of that system are quite good. And I, I trust Chris's people and I trust Evo's people and I trust my own. 
uh, and that tends to be a, a nice way to get started. So I'd say any of those paths are, are good ones to begin. You know, also look around locally, find your local teachers, watch for your red flags, of course, but figure out your local community and what is present there. Um, books only ever get you so far. Right. You know, unfortunately, it's just it's true. We can learn so much from them. And yet putting it into action in a group setting, learning directly from a teacher, that is still one of the most potent and powerful ways to learn witchcraft. Yeah, I would agree. You're never going you're never going to replace that student teacher uh, relationship. So um, is there anything else that you've got going on that, that you want to mention? Any classes, any any uh, online stuff? Yeah, so I, through Glasswitch Cottage, which is my personal site, I blog about once a week, uh, and I teach monthly Zoom workshops. They are recorded afterwards and sent out to everybody, and the topic changes every month. It's like the Friday Night Workshop series. So the 2024 series should be going up online soon. Take a look, see if there's anything you'd like. If you jump on my Patreon, those are free, and that's even at like the $1 sponsorship level of Patreon. Uh the Black Feather Mystery School, which is the mystery school that I've been running for about four years. Magpie, which is level one, we've got an online version starting in November. So and you can usually drop into that cycle a month late. So even if this comes out after that or you're catching it later, if it's like December, January and you're OK with reading a little bit, you can catch up. All of the classes are recorded. They're put into a drive. Students have access to you can catch up. So those are things that I have coming up. Uh, and then, of course, next year's festival season's coming down the pike. Um, Sacred Space Conference is the last weekend in March this year. It's fucking awesome. It is intermediate to advanced only. I went for 10 years before I ever joined the board. And there is a reason I will happily run myself to the bone for that conference. It is fantastic. And for a practitioner like me or like many of the adepts listening to this, you will actually have a chance to learn something. And most of us don't get that pleasure very often, right? A lot of us are subject to like Wicca 101 over and over and over again, and it gets boring. That will not happen to you at Sacred Space Conference. You actually get to go deep and it's fucking great. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for the next three or four months. <laughs> Good. Well, um, I really appreciate you coming on. I think this has been a lovely conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, this was great. And um, uh, I'm looking forward to everything that you've got going on in the future. And I'll probably see you at the next Sacred Space Conference. Sounds really good. Let's get a drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you.